Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to Breakfast Show Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the double L team, Larland. Lawson. Lawson. What are you thankful for this morning? Lyle. Yes. I came. I saw. I conquered. You caught con- Okay. I moved on. Right. Yep. I, just, I, I don't want done. to elaborate. I just pulled the, motor, uh, the engine out of my motorbike and so I was like pretty stoked about that. Other than that, I had a good day off yesterday. Yep. You know, it's always good to have a day off. You need to have one every yeah, now and then. Clean my room, you know, which, is, which is something that you do without taking days off. But I was just like, oh, I'll just, you know, just put in, you know, put in a big cleaning effort around Which was the, the bigger job? And, oh, <laughs> Come on, man! <laughs> yeah. I think this is a valid question. No, it is not. I have I have sons who are your age. I know how this can be. <laughs> well, um, let me just say, um, but the engine, the engine is out of the motorbike. The that's engine is right, out of the motorbike. Right. So now we've just got to now we've got to pull that thing apart and find that's, out find out what's going on right. inside. Well, I'm, of it. I'm probably going to take it to someone to do that. Like take it to an engine builder who I know um, who can make it. Good and fast, and he's gonna pour it and polish it and bore it out. He's gonna just, yeah, make it the most illegal, fastest motorbike on the planet. Put a turbo on it. Put a turbo, <laughs> yeah, dude. Did anything? <laughs> what are you grateful for this morning? Lyle? Supercharger. Go with a supercharger. It was more suitable to uh, that oh, kind yeah. of motorbike. That's right. Yeah, I'm just grateful that superchargers exist. They they just make <laughs> life, you know. <laughs> they just make life enjoyable, don't they? I mean, what would the world be like without supercharges? Oh, you know, I would be bummed. It'd be, like... it'd be just lame. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, uh... Technology is amazing and humans are amazing because they make amazing technology and that's one of the most amazing pieces of technology ever made. It's been around for a very, very long time. It'll be a long around for a long time to come. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Let's uh, talk about some positively different news this morning, Lawson, and some of the most... Let's talk about the most important, um, the important, most important things that have ever been created by human beings. <laughs> yeah, like supercharger. I was laughing so hard because I was like, "Wow, it's so important." You know, amongst the upper echelons of important inventions, like the defibrillator and plastic skin and plane flight, and you know, just all all of those things. Okay, but think about how much the supercharger has saved our environment, right? Think about if trucks did not run superchargers, how much more emissions they would be creating. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you'd have to double the size of the engine to be able to create the amount of power. It's just, you know, superchargers and turbos are doing amazing things for the environment. Yeah, yes. All of you are really super ultra... Um, environmentally friendly internal combustion engines are running um, either superchargers or turbos or a combination yeah, like of both. Yeah, like F1 cars and, you well, know. Those two. And, and um, you know, guys who are trying to pull well, off yeah, really I, fast at the lights Lawson. and, you know, breaking traffic don't, don't, laws. Don't, don't, um, it's like, yeah, I'm making my carbon offset, offset by illegally I, I was, driving I was, around. I was giving a positive spin to this. Okay, fine. You know what? It's positively different uh, news this morning. And let's have a look at this initial one. This is, this is pretty wild. I know someone from this area of the world, and I want to talk about this story because it came up as good news, and I was like, I'm very surprised that this is being reported on as 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 well as good news not 
not that it isn't good news, but it's just it's just interesting. This is pretty deep. So to to cut re- uh, religious tensions in Bangladesh, the Bangladeshi government are removing Islam as their state religion and embracing a secular constitution. Wow. So they are like Bangladesh, for those who don't know, is a lot So they're gonna do away with unification of church and state. That's they're gonna right. go to separation of church and state. That's right. I wonder how successful this will be for a country that is so where it is so ingrained, but I think this is a fantastic move. Well, interestingly, because me too, I'm like reading this. I one of my really close friends is from Bangladesh and she's like Islamic herself. And yeah, she's she thinks like the, she loves Bangladesh. She loves her country. She thinks that her faith, like she loves her faith as well. She's a devout Muslim. Um, and she's had a good experience in Bangladesh of Islam. It's one of those places where it's, um, where well, it exists because of Islam. That's the reason the country exists. Yeah. That, yeah, that's right. It's, it's actually the reason for its existence because it was part of India and the Indians and the, sorry, the Muslims and the Hindus used to fight with each other and so like, let's stop fighting, let's just have two countries. And so that's how, that's why Bangladesh exists. It exists so that uh, Muslims and Hindus don't fight each other. Well, according to this article I was reading, under like its original Muslim rule, they wrote a constitution which was supposed to set up a secular nation. Right. In its inception, they wanted yes. to have a nation where they separated church and state, mm-hmm. um, where it was more secular, you know, and where anyone could be welcome. It could be a real melting pot of, of a country. Um, but that was actually, <clears throat> sorry, guys, that was undermined um, by a military coup by a guy named Zia, Ziaur uh, Rahman. And that guy came in and was like, nope, we're having a, you know, combined church and state like yep. country. And so they kind of, yeah. Uh, like the the Bangladeshi constitution still existed, but they just weren't really adhering to it. Um, and the thing is, you know, this is one of the poorest countries in the world, and there's a reason for that. Mm. Union of church and state is never going to bring wealth uh, mm. in, in the same way as separation of church and state will, mm. and prosperity. It just won't. Mm. And this is one of the things that worries me about what happens in the United States when so many of the evangelicals, you know, the evangelical right pushes so hard for union of church and state and getting rid of separation of church and state. They don't realize that that will destroy their country. Oh, totally. You've got to have that separation between church and state for a a, a country to be able to succeed and to do well. And, you know, Bangladesh is a country that needs to, you know, move up in the world, you know, in in the world where it hasn't been moving up as fast as it could have been or should have been. Well, this is really being spearheaded by the current prime minister of Bangladesh, who is surprisingly a woman, which... I, I, good for them. I, like, we, yeah, I was really surprised reading that. Like, having a, a a Muslim country with a woman leader, I was like, wow. Um, but her name is uh, Sheikh Hasina, and she, you know, is saying that they want to again restore this melting pot of Bangladesh um, to make it a country where all people are welcome. Like, particularly, she highlighted, yeah, amongst our Hindu and Christian population, we want there to be, um, yeah, fairness and this diversity. This is good news because because uh, Christians have been. Bitterly persecuted in Bangladesh, even in, like, the last few weeks. Mm. And so she's saying, like, okay, no, we want to de-escalate these tensions and we want to do it from a systematic legal standpoint where we can be more accepting, we can be have a country that isn't so combined. Um, but interestingly, like, she is, she has definitely has some opposition to these words. Oh, yeah. Um, so 
she has uh, she brought down the last military regime who tried to you know have a coup in the country and um, uh, continued to uphold church and state um, and has also survived nineteen assassination attempts. Yikes! Um, Yikes! What kind of a country where the president has nineteen assassination attempts? Um, but now she is the longest serving prime minister of a South Asian country. Um, and, but apparently, um, the tides have really turned politically and also amongst the people in Bangladesh and she's actually finding a lot of support. Yes. So So she's been in there long enough for people to actually see what she's doing and to appreciate it and go, yeah, this is a good formula. This is working. We need to stick with it. They're like, look, we're not going to try and kill her a 20th time. (laughs) Well, this one, this one might, this one might, uh, trigger some people to go for a 20th attempt. Yeah. But. From what I'm seeing at the moment, people are pretty interested. But yeah, they, you know, she's she's got to watch her steps, I guess, in the next um, couple of weeks. In other news, uh, as we know, COP26 is currently going on, and people are talking about different things and making different claims and whatnot, um, and making different promises. And the UK has pledged to give 290 million dollars to help poorer countries cope with the impact of climate change. Um, and like, they're the first country to make a sizable pledge and a commitment to a pledge. Um, but poorer nations have call, called for a hundred billion dollars in financial help um, from the perspective. Cause it's like, Oh, well, you know, you, you could say like, why can't you solve your own carbon problems? But they're saying that they are being um, s- severely and negatively affected by climate change and that it's the you know those other nations fault and that they should receive financial con- compensation obviously because of this uh there is you know a bit of tension going on within cop 26 people are um you know at the same time like the some of the countries are saying oh 290 million from the uk that's not enough money that you know this isn't serious and i'm like you know, 90 million, uh, you know, that's, that's that, a decent that's, amount of money. That's a lot of money. It is. Uh, um, but, hey, ultimately, you know, uh, people are putting money forth and we're seeing uh, the these talks and these meetings go on. At the same time, people are still, you know, protesting outside and, and doing marches and making themselves known that, you know, people are super keen to see change happen and to see um, people take the, the climate serious. Yeah, somebody's just texting through here, religious separation, church and state. This is amazing for a Muslim country. Let's face it, they've been suffering. Due to church and state government, may God bless and guide the president. Surely God is keeping her safe and we need to pray for her. Uh, in a very, very special way, particularly over these next few months or years, however it longs to takes you know how long it takes her to actually accomplish this. Mm, amazing for that country. Fantastic stuff. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Now this morning we're going to talk about um, childhood, and of course, you know everybody looks back on their childhood and it's like, well, we had the best childhood, and everybody's wrecked it ever since then. Um, and- I don't. What do you mean? No, I'm just. I'm just- <laughs> <laughs> But one of the things that, you know, when I look back on my childhood, and you know how you get all of these memes that go around on the internet, memes or, you know, pictures with, you know, little words, or, or even sometimes you get a write-up and a description of all the things that we did as children and somehow survived it. That's, uh, like, that doesn't happen in my generation. No, your generation doesn't do that that's, because you didn't have to survive any of that stuff. That's, that's no, just, You did that's because boomers, you rode bro. motorbikes. But That's just boomers, bro. That's just <laughs> on Facebook being like, 
my life was so hard. <laughs> no, nah, but it's also boomers being like my my life was so awesome because That's we had true. had so much fun. Yeah, and we were allowed to have fun. Well, one of my one of my like least favorite takes though, because there are some things that's like genuinely like, oh man, imagine living in a world like without phones. Like um, like genuinely that ha- has never been my existence. Yes. Like when when I was like. 13, I got an iPhone. Like, like, yes. dude, that's, that's, that's my life. But then at the same time, when it's like, we survived drinking out the hose. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, and I drank out of the hose too. Like, hose haven't, hoses haven't disappeared since. <laughs> anyways, anyways. So, I, so when I was a kid, when I was a kid in primary school, right? Uh-huh. Uh, we had playground equipment that was all made, um, just, you know, local, Church members got together, welded pieces of steel together, and made our playground equipment. That was that was how it was done back in the day. That's epic. It was epic, and so we had this swing. I've got to describe this swing to you, okay? So you know, it's got the two bars that go into the ground, that were concrete in the ground, go up and over the top, and then hanging from the swing, normally where you would have chains, mm-hmm. right? We had solid steel bars that pivoted on a bearing at the top, <laughs> right? So this is primary school. Yeah. So what this swing could actually do was go all the way around, do a full three sixty. Yeah, and you know that we used to do full three sixties on it. That's awesome <laughs> in primary school. <laughs> Not only that, there was enough space on this swing so that we would we would we would get as many people on there as we possibly could. You know, a couple of people sitting down, a couple of people standing up, people hanging off the sides, and we'd get like almost the whole school on the swing. The school had like twelve students in it. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've got half the school on the swing. At least we get at least six on that swing and do full 360s with at least six on that swing. That's epic. In primary school. That's so sick. And then the other thing that we had in primary school was up the back of the school we had a windrow of massive Magna Carta pines, mm. like enormous Magna, Magna Carta pines. And these things were like 100 feet tall. And we used to climb them. And what we used to do is we'd climb up the trunk, you know, where the branches are. Mm-hmm. So the way, the way you do it is you go up the middle, but you'd come down the outside. So when you got up near the top, you'd climb out on one of the branches and then you'd slide, you know, with the pine needles going between your fingers, you'd slide out along that branch until it bent down and you could reach the branch below. And then you just swap to that one and we used to go down the outside of the tree. That's okay, pretty so, so, so if you're listening in, don't do this at home, but maybe you should because it relates to my story. Mm-hmm. So we used to do crazy stuff like this. We also had a paddock behind the school that was full of cows. Mm-hmm. And uh, my teacher asked the, 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 the local cocky whether we could play in the paddock. And he was like, of course you can play in the paddock. So we used to go out and play in the paddock. And so rather than just having a schoolyard, we had like a whole paddock to play in. It had two dams, mm. had heaps of cows. Uh, and that was epic. Had plovers that would dive bomb you, and so we'd go out and stir up the plovers and try and get them to dive bomb us and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, this was this was the kind of childhood that I had. Now, of course, you know we have um, since then uh, become very very risk averse, and everything is in primary colours and plastic, and is a hundred percent injury proof. But in Germany, they are reversing that, and they're going back to adding risk to playgrounds, and children are getting hurt. And they're seeing this as a good thing. Well, Not only that, but this move is being driven by and sponsored by insurance companies. What? Yes, 
Absolutely, because what they've actually recognised is that removing risk fails to train kids to be risk competent. Mm. And so in the long term, it's costing the insurance companies much, much more than um, than what they want to deal with. And so they're like, we need to get risk back into children's playgrounds so that we don't end up paying out bucket loads of money for the rest of our lives for all the accidents that these useless kids have because they have been raised in cotton wool. Mm. Um, and they've stated, you know, this is stunting their risk assessing abilities. Um, and that, you know, they recognize that childhood is the right time to recognize and learn how to, or to learn how to recognize and to mitigate risk. And if children don't learn these kinds of things, then they are going to be stunted for life and they're going to become incredibly accident prone. Mm. So you think about your childhood, Lawson. What what age did you start to? Hey, I'd love to hear from our listeners on this. What mm. were some of the crazy things that you did either at school or with your parents when in primary school? Let's talk about primary school. So, yeah, what age did sure. you start riding motorbikes? Yeah, so I started when I was like five. Five. Oh, well, up the backyard, like three. And that's actually funny what you say about like risk assessment and, and all that stuff. Like when I was four years old, I uh, went head on into my granddad's car on the <laughs> motorbike and I learned not to ride so close to the car, you know, just like, yeah. But that, you know, by the, by the time I was like 10, 11, I was riding bikes where I would be doing like over 170 Ks, um, on the, on the straights. At the age of 10. At the age of 10. Doing 170 <laughs> kilometers an hour. Yeah, yeah, dude. See, this is the reason, this is part of the reason for your success. You know, I remember, I remember, uh, plinking cans off the fence with my primary school teacher. Yeah. With, yeah. A, with, a, with a rifle. Mm. You know. But, oh, okay, I, we lived in the bush. So. <laughs> well, I, sh- I shot a 12 gauge shotgun when I was 11. And, and put it, you on your butt, it, I'm d- sure. Dude, it, like, put a massive bruise on my arm that I told everyone at school about the next day. I was like, look, I shot a gun, you can tell. And then they just <laughs> point to my arm. It's like black Okay, so blue. what were some of the crazy things that you did when you were a kid? 2004 study in the United States found that children who climbed trees were more likely to, de- to develop risk competence and mm. less likely to have accidents and to be accident-prone as adults. And the problem that we've that has happened is that we have turned our children's pain into a cash cow rather than seeing it as education. So whenever our children get hurt, we just sue because it's like, oh, with those dollar signs coming up in front of our eyes, we don't care about our kids. Our kids will be fine. We know that our kids will be fine. Totally. It's just like, well, let's turn this into a cash cow. Let's get some money out of it. And so that has meant that we have removed all kinds yeah. of risk and international standards are starting to turn in the other direction because of the uh, cotton wool um, uh, raised children that are so dangerous in our world right now. Um, of course, this movement, international movement, is being blocked in Australia and the US by the litigious culture that we have. Um, you know, example of that. There's a there was a a case in the US recently where a um, a little girl fell off a slide and broke her arm, and they sued, and they got awarded $170,000 because oh, the, so the angle cringe. of the slide was 35 degrees and the parents said it should have been 30 degrees. That is so cringe. Yeah, but this is an example is- of what's going on. In fact, in the United States, there's a current move to get rid of swings from playgrounds because they have been um, 
been identified as the most unsafe playground equipment. You know why they're the most unsafe playground equipment that exists today? Because all of the merry-go-rounds, the seesaws, the monkey bars, etc., 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 that we used to have when we were kids are already gone. Mm. And the playground won't become safe until it is a flat piece of dirt with nothing on it. Or you just digitise all your risk and turn it into computer games and kids sit inside and rot their brains on computer games and can't do a thing in real life because they haven't learned how to do a thing in real life. Mm. We need to get our kids out. We need to get them active. We need to get them experiencing life and adventure and learning real practical things that will prepare them for adult life. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. You're listening to The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. Joining us on the show as we always do each month is Jared Stackeroth from Signs of the Times. Jared, welcome to the show. Hey, Lyle. Great to be here again. Thank you. Okay, so we've come very rapidly towards the end of the year. We've come to the November edition of Signs of the Time. Do we have a December edition? We do have a December edition. We've just finalised that and sent it off to print, so ready to come out for December. Okay, so we're going to have a December edition. What about a January? Do we have a January edition? Is, or, or do you guys ever take a holiday? <laughs> so the January-February editions are sort of combined. So we have a, a Jan-Feb that comes out in the early part of next year. You know, Lyle, that many Australians holiday until sort of Australia Day. January is a fairly slow, <laughs> sort of quiet time, so... We do have a a little bit of time over the break that we can rest and and recover from this year, which has been quite frantic. It's flown by, actually. It certainly has. I can't believe that we're talking about the November edition already, but anyway. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad that our Signs of the Times team does get to take a little bit of a break over the year end, so that's nice. But what is our cover story for November? Well, we'll get to the cover story in a minute, but I think as a good segue into what this issue is all about. There's one particular article that our readers might be interested in, which is, are you experiencing burnout? And I think that given the speed that this year has flown by, given some of the lockdowns in some of the different areas and and some of the craziness that we've been experiencing, this is a really helpful, I found it really helpful and really important to understand, I guess, some of the stress that's on all of us at the moment and just some of the ways to identify that so we can take further steps if required. And, you know, with what we're talking about in the intro here, it just sort of brought that article particularly to mind. I found it very practical, so I'd really recommend that our our listeners, you know, jump on and, and read that one. I think all of us need this for our health at this particular time. We do need to take stock of where we are mentally and emotionally after doing, well, we've done two tough years now with um, all kinds of restrictions that we're not used to having, all kinds of debates that we're not used to having. I think there's a a level of anger out there amongst portions of society on both sides of a, a number of debates that have revolved around the COVID issue. And, of course, all of these things can, you know, contribute to burnout. And, of course, life is just that little bit harder when you're in lockdown. So your article on burnout, does it specifically address the pressures that have been created by lockdown or is it we're just looking at generally at the idea of burnout? It's more generic. It does acknowledge that we've been going through those, I guess, as the intro piece into that. But they examine some of the tools that people use to identify burnout. They've been um, actually researching Uh, the issue of burnout. And so addressing some of the external stress points, applying de-stressing 
strategies and, and looking at perfectionism, one of the factors that goes into um, people feeling they have to get everything right all the time. Um, they, they examine that a bit more um, closely. So it's, it's a really good sort of broad introduction to the idea. And obviously, um, we'd encourage anyone that's struggling with their mental health to go seek um, specific and professional help. Um, but this is a really good article that just engages the topic and starts to get people thinking about what they might need to do to, to, to look after themselves. Absolutely. And I think for a lot of us, you know, a few simple tips here and there to get us through is what we need, um, you know, rather than, you know, having to go and, and, and get professional help. I mean, certainly there's going to be plenty of us that are going to need to go and get professional help. And from time to time, I've done that. It's a good thing to do. There is, um, it's, it's certainly a positive thing to do. But I think a lot of us is just like, yeah, you know what? At the end of this year, I'm just feeling a little bit more tired than I was last year or the year before. Um, and so a few tips on, uh, on how to deal with this would be just a super valuable thing to have. Mm, for sure. Now, okay, so, um, so we've got a, an article there on burnout. That's particularly topical for, for, uh, the month of November. And, you know, I don't know about you, but even in the normal year, the month of November is the month where I'm sort of starting to run on fumes and there's that light at the end of the tunnel, which is my annual leave. And it's like, I, I know I can make it as far as annual leave. <laughs> Um, That's right. So uh, I think of a, a lot of us kind of get to that particular point this time of year. But coming back to the um, coming back to the issue of Science Magazine, what about the what about that cover article or major other major articles that we have in the magazine? So we're looking at um, in November. Often um, they have this thing called White Ribbon Day, and domestic violence is an issue that has also been um, exacerbated by the pandemic. Um, and yet many people don't understand sort of what domestic violence is. They just think it's a black eye or a, a broken arm. Um, they don't realize that there's sort of other factors of control and, and power imbalances in relationships, both for, towards males, females, um, children. There can be, it, it's a complex issue. And so we have an article, which is the cover article for November, which is written by an expert who just, I guess helps us to define and understand the issue of family violence and then gives us some tips about how it's appropriate to respond, whether it's it's happening to us or even if it's happening to someone that we know and that we find out and how we can help and support in some of those situations. I think that's really important because, you know, particularly to respond to other people around us who we sort of look at it and think, you know, that doesn't look like a healthy environment to me. To know and to understand, all right, when is the correct time to actually say something? When is the correct time to actually do something before it becomes too late? We've seen, you know, too many tragedies and we see tragedies taking place every year as a result of domestic violence. And often because we all sort of sat back and, well, you know, it's their business, it's it's their family, you know, they need to figure out how to manage it themselves. Uh, but we kind of really need to know when is the time to speak up and when is the time to do something to actually act in relationship to things that we see that are definitely off. Yeah, and something that surprised me when reading this article was that Sarah McDougall, who's the expert that sort of writes it for us, she says if you recognise the red flags, if you if you start listening to someone's story and you think that there's some dangerous issues, my assumption would be that, hey, we should just do something about it. But she said don't jump in necessarily and tell them to leave, force them to leave and, and 
impose yourself on the situation, you can get people killed. You can push that that abuser into a, a more dangerous situation because maybe they've never been challenged before. Maybe they've always had compliance. And so just understanding that and understanding how to gently help the person to, to maybe recognize the situation they're in and, and get them to seek their own help out, that that's a good first step. And it's something that sort of I learned, I guess, from reading this article. So I think that's really important to to continue to educate ourselves about these sort of things that happen in the community and to, to be equipped to help when the need arises. Does the article address just how big of an issue this is in Australia? Do we do we really have good, accurate research on on how big this issue is? It certainly is, Lyle. You know, we don't just see the sort of tragic stories of people killed in the news. I think one woman is murdered every week in Australia in, in this sort of space. And so, you know, we don't always see those. We see the more dramatic ones, but we don't see them always make the news. And yet it's happening sort of right around us. Um, my wife and I live in an apartment building. Um, and in the years that we've been um, renting here, we've seen, we've heard, uh, experienced neighbours and people across you know, you, not a lot is secret in an apartment building. So you see across the way, um, and and we've we've witnessed some really terrible things just in our neighbourhood. Um, and so yeah, it, it, it is around us and it is happening, especially with the extra pressures that we've been talking about this year. And it's one of those things, you know. I've got um, a number of friends in the police force and, and and whatnot, and they've you know they talk about how by far the very the, the most dangerous situations that they ever get called out to is uh, domestic violence um, kind of situations. There's, there's, there's just simply nothing more dangerous than that because you know, people's emotions are at such high levels in those kinds of situations. And, uh, and, and, and so it, you know, I think we need to recognise that this can be, if it's dangerous for the police, imagine how much more dangerous it is for just the average person. For sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we're talking about domestic violence. We're talking about uh, dealing with burnout. What else are we going to um, talk about in this month's Signs of the Times? So Ryan Stanton looks at um, Remembrance Day. Obviously, that's coming up um, in, in November. And he just examines, I guess, some of the history and some of the ideas around that. Um, Nathan Brown looks at planted or growing. I guess we're always striving as um, humans and we see this this metaphor of the journey and he he takes a biblical metaphor which is planted a tree that's planted and is is able to grow and mature in the space that it is um, and he finds that is a more useful thing that helps us to um, I guess remain grounded <laughs> um, rather than always striving after the quick you know speeding through the year um, and then we ask perhaps the biggest question of the year in our big question series, does God exist? Okay, that is a very big question. That's a uh, <laughs> that's a big jump from those other articles. But uh, who writes this one, and what kind of um, arguments do they put forward? So, Marcus Torres is a a pastor in WA, and he he writes this for us. He talks about how he went to to university to pursue um, ministry and theology, and I guess he encountered some readings and some things that he had to do in the course that, that caused him to try and answer the question. He, he, he said it wasn't an issue that he was challenged in his beliefs. He, he appreciated having to wrestle with some of these big questions. 
Um, and so he looks at some different theories, I guess, that people put forward and how he has navigated those, how he answers those. So I guess the, the theory of the multiverse, um, a singularity where, where life and, and the universe comes from, and then I guess mystery and wonder and some of the some of the um, unknown questions and, and how he finds God through through some of those things. So it's it's like an intro. There have been whole books um, written on this sort of thing, but he does a good job of at least um, answering for himself, I guess, which is the most important place to start some of these questions. And then he invites the reader, obviously, to to go with him on that journey and, and to understand some of the issues that perhaps they don't think about on a day-to-day basis, some of these big existential questions. Yeah, and it's interesting that you mentioned there, you know, he um, it wasn't something, a, a thing, a question that he ever asked for himself before he was actually challenged to, you know, to research and to write on it while at university. I think that for a lot of people who have grown up in a Christian home, it can be easy to take it for granted because our relationship with God develops over time and become something that is, you know, very real for us as an individual. And so we sort of never go through that point of like, well, does God exist or does God not exist? But for many people out there, um, this is a big existential question. As you say, this is something that, you know, why would religion exist? What, what, what purpose would there be for, you know, religion in our world if there was no such thing as the existence of God? Yeah. And whether you come from that background of not believing, not believing or, or actually believing, I think it is important to examine your beliefs and to understand why you hold those and to understand perhaps to find a logical and rational way through it, but also just to, you know, um, give God a chance. I think it's important to to hold those beliefs to be yourself and not just to inherit them. And, and for, for those of us who've grown up in a Christian home, because we have the experiential evidence of the existence of God, you know, I, I think that it's you know it doesn't really prepare us that well to communicate with people who don't have that experiential uh, evidence of the existence of God. They've never experienced God in their lives before, and so they look at it from a more rational perspective. And so, for those of us who've grown up in the Christian religion, articles like this are really important because it gives us information. It gives us ideas that we can use when we're interacting with people who have never experienced God, and they need some rational evidence so that they can actually go out there and experience God for themselves. That's definitely a good starting point. And, and yeah, Marcus gives us a really nice um, intro into that topic as well. So it's quite a mixed issue. We've got some serious issues. We, we look at um, dementia, helping loved ones with dementia. We've got some of that health stuff that we always have. We've got the burnout and, and the domestic violence that we mentioned. But, yeah, there's a, there's a mix of, of different things. So there's something for everyone probably in here, Lyle. And finally, how do we interact with Signs of the Times magazine? How do we subscribe to it? How do we get it? How do we read it? We'd love you to do so. And if you visit signsofthetimes.org.au, you can do it all there. You can subscribe. You can read our articles. Um, it's all in a one-stop shop. Signsofthetimes.org.au. Fantastic. Jared Sakharov, thank you so much for joining us once again here for the November issue of Signs of the Times. Make sure you head over there and check it out. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.